Hello and welcome to Coffee and Consoles, the show where John and myself take a look at some of your favorite songs from the musical side and the engineering side. Today on Coffee and Consoles, we will be covering the legendary, magnificent ACDC's Back in Black. Hey, Kevin, how you doing today? Ooh, I am doing spectacularly. That's a word that's difficult for me to say. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, you're getting it out. It's it. There you go. Spectacularly. <laughs> so welcome, listeners. Welcome back to episode 10. It's episode 10 already? 10 already. Yes, nice. So this is where we talk about our favorite songs from a musical standpoint. From the engineering standpoint. Yeah, and we hope you enjoy. As always, uh, you can always feel free to reach us at coffeeandconsoles at gmail.com or on Instagram, coffeeandconsoles. That's where we have an Instagram page. We do. Hasn't been that active yet, but, you know, it's a little bit here and there. We haven't haven't created the uh, content, as the kids say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we haven't influenced anyone yet. We'll have to to get on that a little bit. But we we would love to see you on other platforms. Come say hey. I don't know. I don't actually use Instagram, so I don't know if people can comment or whatever. I, I suppose they can. Oh, but yeah. You're, can, you're can, kind of a Luddite when it comes to yeah. social media. <laughs> so I, I assume people can can say hey to us on Instagram. Oh, yeah. they can. I think they can poke us or something. You know? I think that's Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, as we start off every episode, it's time for a toast to the roast. Oh. Toast to, to the, the roast. roast. Ooh, that's a rocking guitar tone you got there. Well, thank you, man. This uh, I'm playing your uh, Gibson SG. Here. That is my first is guitar your. that I'd want to keep, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, definitely. No yeah. offense. No offense to the guitars that I had when I was in, you know, seventh and eighth grade. Like your uh, Fender Squire, or maybe like a first worse, act. Worse or... than a Fender Squire. It was. A combo pack sold at Costco, <laughs> the wonderful musical instrument retailer. Sweet Costco called Starcaster. Oh yeah, yeah, Starcaster. Which Star I think Caster. those were a Fender subsidiary. It probably, subsidiary. Yeah, yeah, it probably was. If I'm not mistaken, because yeah, you see those at Walmart, I think too, or <laughs> Best Buy. Yeah, the start. Like you thought Squire was bad enough. Nope. No. We can go even lower. Squire actually makes some pretty decent instruments. Yeah, when you, when oh, you get especially, into, I mean, they go back to the 80s. Like, there's, you know, guys around town, like Jack Pearson, kind of a legend around here. He'll play, like, a some 80s era, like Fender Squire. Squire. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's kind of like Epiphone. Before Gibson bought Epiphone, Epiphone was making great guitars. Pretty reliable, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ba- yeah back in the day when people made a quality instrument. <laughs> back in my day. <laughs> So what are we uh, what are we drinking today, Kev? We are drinking a Guatemalan coffee Ooh. from Bueno Kroger. <laughs> I ran out, so I, I had a I had a roast that I made myself, and then I drank it all. Oh, I see. And it takes it the degassing period. You, you couldn't take. you couldn't save it for me when I came back over. I know it's well, been a while since we last recorded, but it's been a little bit actually. So speaking of when we last recorded, we were on the toast of the roast 
portion of the show, we were speaking about how we were just getting over illness. And I would like to clarify, because that was released in the height of coronavirus. We did not have coronavirus. We do not have it. We're, no, no, at this doing. point, we're all good as no. of uh, March 11th, 12th, 12th, whatever day is. Yes. 12th, it's yeah. the 12th. Yeah, we're so. okay. Tomorrow's Friday the 13th. That only yeah. seems fitting for this week somehow. Indeed. Yeah. So. For those listening to this in the future. In the future, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a week, you know, both in the country, but also here in Nashville. Like, Oh, that's right. We had to survive a tornado storm, which is a little over a week ago. Mm-hmm. It was, and that was the beginning of March. My house, so John actually lives in... A little the, east of you. area in where area. it was affected. Yeah. And, and I was about hit. four streets away from having my house blown away. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I had to do some roundabout ways to get to your place today because a lot of the streets were closed due to all the cleanup still. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's uh, actually right down the street. There's a church that's just... Demolished. has to be demolished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there was a school literally maybe a mile and a half down the road from my where my wife and I live mm-hmm. that got demolished in neighborhoods. Yeah, it was one of those things that didn't realize how lucky we were until like I didn't I didn't realize later until the I started after. seeing like the path of the tornado. It took me like a week to actually realize. Like, you know, yeah. you see like the damage, but you're like, "Oh, it was like probably pretty f-. no, it was." <laughs> yeah, there's some massive devastation and uh yeah, yeah we were both uh lucky. You didn't even lose power. I didn't even lose power. Yeah, we lost power for about Yeah, it's crazy. Almost 2 days. It was like a day and a half, but bad enough to have to empty out the entire fridge and freezer, which literally like three days before my wife had made like a massive grocery run. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that all, and it's kind of depressing having to throw out all that food, but you know, could be worse. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. It could be way worse. Yeah. Just, you know, if, if that was how, you know, bad we were hit, I guess we can't complain about having to throw right, away yeah. some food. So unfortunately, Luckily, most of my friends and that's actually most all of my friends survived with relatively little damage, even though, you know, some of them still aren't in their houses as of a week later, week and a half later. Almost. Yeah. Almost two weeks later. So they, so some of them still haven't returned to their homes, but you know, all their stuff was okay. And wow. They're okay. You know? Yeah. That's good. My my one buddy is having his car repainted for a cool eight grand. Holy crap. Eight grand yeah. to repaint a car? His entire I didn't, car has to be repainted. I didn't know it cost. I mean, that's yeah. practically an, another car. Well, the insurance company told him that they might just total it if it costs too much yeah. to repair it. But I guess they're going through with the repairs. He's in oh a my rental God. car. Wow. So, yeah, so so that was, you know, my one buddy was affected the most. Yeah. But just think of how many guitars you could buy for eight grand. One less Paul. Yeah. <laughs> be a damn good Les Paul <laughs> custom shop. Yeah, man. Oh my gosh. But other than that, so I yeah, think... yeah, it's been a uh, quite the quite a time since we last met up to do a recording. Right. Yeah. It's been like time is weird on our show because we typically go about a week to two weeks, but I think yeah, it's we try been to do even every... longer than that. Cause yeah, it's... we've been a little uh, less consistent than how we how we started. So we're we're trying to keep it to about like a you know. What, bi-monthly or bi-weekly? Bi-weekly. Yeah. I think those are two terms that could be mean the same thing if you want them to. I, in a way, in like my bi-weekly can, be, can mean like twice a week or every two weeks. Right. It can mean both, it is. It's, yeah. Mm. So we try to like put out one every 
couple weeks. Every couple weeks, yeah. <laughs> give or take. Yeah, shout plus out or to minus all, like three days. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to all of our friends who are listening. We do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Like for every once in a while, I hear from another random friend. It's like, oh, wait, you have a podcast? Like, like yeah, yeah, man. Thanks yeah. for listening. Or yeah. like, I was talking to another buddy. He's like, yeah, I'm listening to uh, their podcast right now. It's like. So. Yeah, we, we we very much appreciate it. Yeah, you guys listen to our uh, not drunken, but uh, maybe uh, on a similar intelligence level ramblings. <laughs> oh my gosh! About, yeah, about, uh, the songs usually like. in the morning, usually only on the second cup of coffee. That's right. When we start <laughs> off, yeah, <laughs> we're frantically scrambling to figure yeah. out what we're gonna say. I uh, I know, right? It's all in good fun. It's all yeah. in good fun. So yeah, shout out to all those who you know may be in self quarantine by the time you're listening to this. We hope you oh we got to capitalize this. on that. Yeah, yeah, we need to put out. Can we more. start advertising in Italy. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Italy is on full lockdown. I yeah, that's it's crazy. Borders. Yeah, Italy's on full lockdown. Ireland just closed all their uh, borders, schools, are, are and closed college in, yeah. in Europe. You can't even you can't fly to Europe mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I think one of my students before um, our spring break started said like yeah so i'm planning to visit england and ireland over spring break he's like like, no you're not like i don't know if he actually if they went through with it or not if they got over there and i mean if they got over they're gonna be stuck over there. yeah being a citizen they they would be able to get back here from what i understand oh okay yeah i thought you were just stuck there like no no if you're a citizen you can get back here okay yeah (laughs) yeah crazy but i guess uh, the uk is exempt Oh. Because we like the UK. Because we're cool. We're good with the UK, I <laughs> yeah. guess. Mm, weird. But anyway, enough about that. Let's get back in black, my friend. Back in... Well, you have you have some big news. I do? The, yeah, you just uh, oh, okay. shared with me. Yeah, we're still on the toast of the roast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is important. Oh, yeah. So uh, we, we got an offer on our condo, Cha-ching. my wife and I. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And that just happened... In the middle of all this other craziness going on with the tornado and everything like that, yeah. So yeah, we're uh, we're not moving out of town. We're just moving to a different area of town. He's basically so. moving across the world, <laughs> people. Just he's, a little south of Nashville. Just, he's and, uh, forever away. Yeah. Right. No. So, so yeah, that was a relief to you know get that taken but care congratulations. of. Congratulations. Well, thank you, man. Yeah, we're happy about that. Um, yeah, it's been last several days have been kind of crazy with you know. Getting the dog in the car and cleaning up the place again for showings. Like, God, we went through like 20 to 30 showings within a five-day period. Wow. Which is, you know, that's just kind of how crazy the Nashville area market is. Like I was talking with my mom the other day and, you know, my parents sold their place about two years ago now. But that Uh was in a town called Bloomington Normal, Illinois, kind of central of the state, Illinois. Where the uh, the market is not quite as hot as not, it is not here Not a lot Nashville. of folks moving to yeah, old, no. good old Bloomington? No, it's the headquarters, well, one of the headquarters of State Farm Insurance. Oh, but uh, okay. yeah, she was saying, I don't even think we had 20 showings in the year that our house was wow. on the market. Like, it took a year to sell that place. Wow. Um, just, yeah, as we said, supply and demand, and the demand was not high in that area. So yeah, we're kind of lucky to be able to get this hopefully under wraps and yeah well we are certainly certainly happy that you sold your condo <laughs> and i will be expecting a, a nice uh bottle of scotch to celebrate with you oh yeah Not that does me, sound good but we will we should share maybe, a bottle maybe from me yeah mm, i know. think i think that'll be good the next episode will be uh scotch and 
Studios or something like that. Scotch and Scotch and Studios. We like the alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so now, yes. So this is your choice. Indeed. A long time coming, I think. Those who know me <laughs> know that I am a fairly decent ACDC fan, fairly large ACDC fan. You're pretty big. You're an ACDC stan, I think. I, <laughs> I probably, I probably listen to ACDC. Rough, They're probably in my top five bands I listen yeah, to. Yeah, roughly four hours a day. No, oh, they, no, yeah. nothing like that. But I do, I do <laughs> have a folder on my Amp Sims labeled ACDC Rock Block. Nice. And I will just go through songs on YouTube and, and you know play with the backing tracks with the different sounds. So I guess that's I, I, a do, I just big fan. picture you every day. It's like you know you're in here in the studio here and you're just banging your hand, head oh, away. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Girl. And, and, Doing the know. Angus walk across the you know the room. Yeah, if there's if there's no one uh, if there's no one around, I might even take my shirt off. You know, of course, really, yeah, really get down with it. Yeah, so. let the chest hair fly. Just let it <laughs> let it flow in its natural yeah. state. Yeah, so I mean, this is a classic, classic song, one of the greats, and one of yeah, definitely. As John and I were texting about the show earlier in the week, John was like, "I wonder, I can't can never remember how old they were when they." When they released this, and I was like, Angus was twenty five, yeah, and Malcolm was twenty seven. Twenty seven. Um, Insane. one of the other guys would would have been like twenty six, I guess. Yeah, they're all. I kind don't know of if uh, either Phil Rudd or uh, Cliff Williams. It's just one of those weird, you know, mental things, and this probably is, you know, depending on your age or generation, you just kind of see things through a certain prism. Like when you're younger, everyone's an adult, you know, and, yep. you know that sort of thing. You know, even though you know, I'm already about. 10 years older than my dad was when he had me. You yeah. Know, that was, those sort of things. But, but yeah, they're only in their mid-20s, so they're still like a young rock band. I mean, they yep. weren't like the kind of like the But they the, had put the, out the a veterans. few. They had, yeah. So they, this they actually is, put out quite a few albums before this. Yeah, I think this is their seventh album. Yeah. Back in Black was the seventh. Came out in uh, the f- summer of 1980. 1980. 1980. But yeah, yeah, in my head, I always just picture them as being 40-year-olds. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> even still today, I like maybe forty-five-year-olds, even though like they're like 45. sixty and seventy now. Yeah, which is weird because because to me they're like perpetually like thirty. Yeah, because like all of their <laughs> all their great live DVDs that I may or may not have and watch occasionally. Oh yes, uh, they're all you know, it's all peak ACDC. Yeah, early nineties, late eighties. But uh, this track, not the. Uh, the title track, not the first track on the album, though. No. But uh, the title track comes in a time when ACDC had a few personnel changes. Well, that's sadly. That's yeah. That's yeah. that's putting that's that's a true statement. Um, I think I would characterize it as a just a band in flux due to tragedy. Yeah, definitely in flux. So the original singer. Bon Scott. Actually, not or the I guess not or, original. Yeah. Original, yeah. <laughs> kind of with Neil Peart, who wasn't the original drummer. Yes. <laughs> bon Scott was not actually. There was like one guy who did like one song or something. Okay, <laughs> yeah. You know. But their main uh, first singer, Bon right. Scott, earlier in 1980, tragically dies from alcohol poisoning, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, they had their, uh, I think the original bass player, Mark Evans, if I'm getting that name right, we'll at least w- at least was on the previous albums. He gets replaced, and I think they like fired him or let him go. Okay. I'm not sure of the. So reasons. I actually didn't know that because you know bass. 
Whatever. Sorry, guys. I know. Yeah, ACDC and like a lot of those metal bands actually is like the bass players. Like same with Metallica. You know, <laughs> Jason like, Newstead. <laughs> yeah, it's like the bass player is kind of the forgotten one. Well, like, I, and again, sadly, like kind of with Metallica. Not to go on a Metallica tangent, but like they were kind <laughs> of in the same boat as ACDC, where tragically their yeah know, bass player died in a bus accident. So. Hmm. But yeah, since then they I guess you know they went through Newstead and then they have a uh, Robert Trujillo now. And he's been with the band yeah, for like yeah, he's been 15 for a years while or something. Now, yeah. So. Yeah, he, he's a cool he's a cool guy. Yeah, yeah, uh Mark Evans was the original one and then he gets replaced by Cliff Williams. But he's and a, a couple years before this album in 77 is when okay. Cliff Williams joined. So did they Cliff Williams? He was on Highway to Hell. Yes. Okay. Yeah, which is that's the album before this i believe it yeah. is yeah i believe it is in se- oh in 79 so like yeah. that gets released in 79 that album and then you know bon scott, bon scott dies, dies. they, they the have studio. to find a new singer yeah and Insane, by july right? of 1980 they put out this album back in black this, this tiny little album that yeah which only has you know about half the songs are all like big hits these you know like classic tracks these days you know you shook me all night long hell's bells oh yeah um the one we're speaking of today, Back in Black. Do you know about any of the story about how they found Brian Johnson? I know. So I know that they had auditions for singers. Yeah. And they sent... Which is so funny. You think about like, just picturing like Angus and Malcolm Young. Sitting at like, a table with like a cup of water. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, <laughs> like a gymnasium. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> next please. Next please. And just some of them kind of like muttering to each other. Like, yeah, like, it's like high school auditions <laughs> yeah, okay. for the musical or something like that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. He's next, probably still next. in his, you know, schoolboy shorts and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though he was 25 and hadn't yeah. been to school <laughs> 10 years. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so my understanding is they had auditions and they sent a demo tape to their producer, Mutt Lang, and... Uh, Mutt Lang played the tape for Tony Platt, who ended up being the head engineer on the album. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I think Mutt Lang picked up, had to pick up Tony Platt because he didn't have a car or some, some you know serendipitous yeah. situation like that. And uh, they kind of just settled on Brian Johnson real quick. He might have been in, like I think there's a even another story of like he was just happened to be in the studio doing some demos. Oh yeah, uh, and he just. Like, I don't know if he actually auditioned, like, was was there for the audition, but he ended up auditioning. Yeah. My it's, understanding. It's strange how it happens because Brian Johnson is an Englishman. Indeed he is. Born in England. Well, of course, you know, the Young Brothers and, you know, all the, you know, initial members of ACDC are from Australia. Mm-hmm. The land down under. And Brian Johnson was in another band called Geordie, I believe. And they kind of had like one hit, kind of like in the mid seventies. Um, I can't recall the name of it. I pulled it up. It was kind of a, you know kind of like that of its time, like early seventies sort of like R and B rock thing, you know. But you could, which would be interesting. Yeah, Brian it's Johnson. it's cool. Like yeah, I mean he's kind of just singing more like a kind of like a blues rock thing, and you know it fits while it's still like it has more of that edge, almost a kind of a Joe Cocker esque in a mm. sense, but maybe not quite as in the soul vein as Joe Cocker went. So yeah, yeah, you kind of figure like, how do these Australian rockers like learn of this British singer, Brian Johnson? Um, I came across another story where I believe it was one of the uh, young brothers were talking about before Bon Scott died, like Bon Scott had seen 
Jordy live. So he saw Brian Johnson yes, live and I he was impressed with like, he'd be gyrating on stage and going into almost like fits on stage and like falling down on the ground and like, you know, going crazy, like in the performance. And he just saw it was the greatest thing ever. Like, like this Brian Johnson guy's incredible. And, and I don't know if this is the myth side of the story or kind of the, you know, rock and roll lore, but apparently that same show that Bon Scott supposedly saw, like Brian Johnson had to be uh, taken to the hospital for appendicitis. <laughs> <laughs> so it was because he actually, at the end of that show, had to be like carted off stage or wheeled off stage. And they, you know, kind of initially probably thought it was part of the act, but it was right. actually like, no, he, <laughs> no, he just he needs to be, go get surgery. Yeah, quick. he has to be hospitalized. So again, like I said, that's uh, one story heard, but I don't know how much. You know, I'm gonna, or, I'm or gonna if it's choose, like two stories put together. I'm know. gonna choose to believe that that is 100 yeah. percent accurate. I, I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a it's a good one to believe it's on. So anyway, so these Australians bring in Brian Johnson, Brian Johnson, and for this album, and so they asked him to write a song, kind of in memoriam to Bon Scott. Well, more of a tribute, I would tribute. Yeah. Like, like yes, in memoriam, but. Yeah, I guess that's they, not they the actually right term, told yeah. him we don't want the song to be morbid. Yeah, we yeah. want it to be uplifting. Yeah, like a celebration. Right. Yeah, and so if you don't know that, in, you know, listening to the lyrics to "Back in Black," it just kind of seems like just kind of like you know, cool rock and roll lyrics. You know, like sure, you know, you know all like fun things that kind of rhyme together and kind of like you have. Uh, I got nine lives. Cat's eyes, abusing every one of them and running wild. You know, that's kind of cool rock stuff. But when you think back and see it in the perspective of, you know, Bon Scott's life, it can be kind of fitting. That right, thought. yeah, you're so wild. Yeah, like back in the back of a Cadillac, number one with a bullet, I'm a power pack. Yes, I'm in a bang with a gang. <laughs> they got to catch me if they want me to hang. You know, cool rhymes like that that don't sound necessarily like a – like an ode to someone, but right, they could be. Yeah. So, cool words like that. The other band members got it when he came back with those lyrics. Like, yeah, yeah, this seems very fitting for Bon Scott. Mm-hmm. And of course, when the album comes out, it just has that kind of just like a black cover with ACDC on it. So, right. kind of also kind of as like a, you know, a little bit of a nod. To, yeah, to bon yeah, Scott. To, yeah, Bon Scott. You know, not to their black for morning. So it's only fitting. As we said, this was their seventh album, if I'm not mistaken. And so the single Back in Black wasn't even the first one released off the album. It was the third one released. And besides hitting, I believe it hit number one in the UK on like the rock charts. Uh But it wasn't like a hugely, like as far as charting wise, like successful single at all. But... I mean, the album sold millions, if I'm not mistaken. I will tell you in just a moment exactly how many. I'm going to guess for Back in Black, uh, 25 million. 25 million? Yeah, that's my guess. You're about double off. Is it okay? Is it 50? (laughs) 50, 50 I had 50 in my head, but I couldn't remember if maybe that was, uh, yeah. It's an unbelievable amount of. Yeah, like even by old. today's numbers. Even even yeah. if you get a fifty million streams, I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, no, Let no alone album sales. Yeah. So this is man, this is just the epitome of 
both rock and roll and like hard rock or even metal. Like I came across a quote that someone said like, this song is just the perfect mix of like young kind of youthful like metal and like older guy, like rock and roll sort of thing. Like it, it's like that perfect sweet spot that like multiple generations just can enjoy yeah, just can like bob it. their head and shake their fists. And, you know, you know, it's for being such a legendary song, so popular, it hasn't really re- like Stairway to Heaven, as great as it is. Sometimes when it comes on, people are like, oh, it's Stairway again. Yeah, it's, it's going to be it, a, a trek to get through. Right. Like, there. I don't think. I don't There's think a time commitment. Black, <laughs> yeah, I don't think Back in Black really has that around it. Maybe because it is only like four minutes. Yeah, you know, I but. mean, it's great length. It's even almost like go. There's even like more to the song than you even initially think. Even to me, like as a guitar right. player and one who's like heard it for you know twenty plus years, whatever it gets to that, uh, like I guess you could call it the bridge. <laughs> You know, that part, yeah. like, I always, free, oh, yeah, that's that's in there, too. It's like, it's kind of like a cool, oh, like, I forgot. <laughs> I, like, rocks out even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of always funny. It's like, yeah, there's that part, too. And usually I'm not a fan fan of um, fade outs. But sure. I don't, I don't mind this one, though. That, well, gosh, AC, I don't think ACDC I, actually ended a song. Like yeah, right. Yeah, they did. just kept jamming it. Yeah. They're like, okay, well, well when do we want to oh, end this? We're just gonna. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, some of that's of its time, too. And, you know, thinking back to when radio play was even bigger than it is today, like, unless your song had a very distinctive, like, ending that the DJ knew, okay, okay, this is the end of the record, time to, you know, switch to the next single. Like, Mm -hmm. they just faded away. So then that was the cue for the DJ, like, pull up the next single, next record to start spinning, you know, over radio play. So there's kind of like that sort of, uh, I guess, that practicality. Yeah, I guess that out. makes sense because then it gives them a little bit of time to, you know, if they're a little bit behind, yeah, and kind of prep their next next song to get it get going. Yeah. So. Which way? How do you want to start? So on the engineering side, gear side, or some of the, the music side of it? Let's let's go through the, which, the studio real yeah. quick. Which side of the glass are we going to be in? For yeah, we're going to be on the coffee side, <laughs> the side where I'm watching you drinking coffee. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I guess that makes sense. This uh, song was song album was recorded in the Bahamas in Nassau. Nice at a studio called Compass Point. Okay, yeah. which I'm only familiar with because of back because of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that'd be uh, pretty sweet to record in the Bahamas. Oh yeah, it would be awesome. Oh, and yeah. actually, the you know story is for the song Hell's Bells. The the reason. They they wrote the song was because you know they were on the beach and they could kind of see this this storm approaching from oh, yeah. miles and miles away, and so they kind of wrote a song about it. But Ooh, so good. Another great song. Another yeah. classic. Another great in- intro. They so, just have the best intros. In they yeah, yeah. There's like when if, you think about it, if you could steal one thing. From ACDC, seal their intros. Yeah. Or their, 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 the ability to write the intros. Because, yeah. like, every single song just grabs you. I mean, yep. you shook me all night long. Another yeah. amazing intro. Oh, wait, no, it's not. It starts up. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's even probably a little more distorted or Yeah, it, it certainly yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, they're phenomenal at writing intros. We're, I feel like we're gay. We can just keep lost. on going yeah, through them. <laughs> <laughs> so can you? Do you want to guess? I think we might make this a segment. Let's guess the console that they use. Because <laughs> but I'm so bad. There's only about five different consoles <laughs> that these people used back in the day. Yeah. So let's see if you can guess this console now we're what? gonna specify okay. we're gonna say they, they use two different consoles i will accept oh. two two answers they use Sweet. a console for tracking and they use a console for mixing yeah so uh, in mixing they were at electric ladyland i saw yeah i yeah. saw that which, so, that's pretty cool so you can i'll let you pick mm. which console you want to guess the tracking console or the mixing console okay trivia time here i does it have three letters in the name <laughs> it does would one of those letters be an S? <laughs> it Play is, this it like does not. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, it does not. Can I have an S? Oh, damn it. <laughs> the, that's the only one I know that has three letters. <laughs> the, the tracking console they used was an MCI. Oh, okay, MCI. yeah. MCI. So really, those are really cool consoles. They actually, I have a buddy who has a studio in uh, Dixon who has an MCI, and cool. it sounds really, really good. It's a really cool console, really like just the epitome of you know like not the 70s like it yeah it just I, has that sound for those who can't see you're just doing I'm like, just, like the, shaking the my shaking fist. The yeah fist. like yeah just it has makes that. you it sounds awesome yeah cool cool really cool consoles recorded to a mci tape machine probably sold as a package if i had to guess and the setup with like so i earlier i was mm -hmm. talking to john again about how we want to do the show and one of my main points was this is this song is a really great example of a band a producer and an engineer all working together for a common goal so the setup was basically really similar on how they would play live but the engineer would be walking around in the room hitting a snare drum trying to figure out you know where's where are the weird points where does this this drum sound the best where can we put this amp and while he was doing that uh mutt lang the producer would be going over arrangements in the studio and mm -hmm. he would also be using that time to like really hone in the the sounds like when he wasn't when they figured out where to put everything so he put the drum in a spot where he's like oh it sounds like a little fuller a little louder here so i'm gonna put the drums here and he found out later that there was actually a space above the ceiling that did that wasn't sealed as well so it was there was more room there, and that's why it sounded better. For the drums? For the drums. Okay, yeah. cool. So put the drums there, then they kind of just set up the guitars and bass kind of mm -hmm. in the And this is the, uh, how they set up. the engineer, you said, walking around. Uh, yeah, just walking around with Tony, the snare drum. Uh, Platt? Tony Platt? Tony Platt. Tony Platt is the guy. And people are always wondering, like, I need to know the exact chain of gear that ACDC used to get the back and black sound because this 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 guitar tone is like the one of the most highly sought after tones. Yeah, people just oh my gosh try to get it, and it's yeah uh, you need a Marshall, you need a Gibson SG, and check, you need check. Angus Young. And, and okay, we got two out of two out of three. Yeah, eight so bad. You can get close, <laughs> but you'll never get it without without that third piece there. Yeah, right. But I think he, Joe Satriani. I think I think he called it like the most beautiful 
recorded guitar of the world or something in the history of it's guitars. damn near close it's it's a, it's a really great recording but yeah. the crazy thing about it is there was no like one setup for everything as far as like from song to song from song to song yeah, yeah maybe so so amps were track to track you yeah know, interchange they had yeah. 50 watt marshals they had 100 watt marshals and they would just pick the one that they thought sounded the best they had multiple guitars that they would use on different guitar um different guitars different songs and they even they would even mic the cabs different and they would you know they would match the cab with the head that they chose yeah so uh gibson not gibson i can't speak today angus yeah would use greenbacks in his cabs greenbacks yeah yeah. the celestian greenbacks which you can still buy today and the accompanying head would just be you know whatever because they had a sponsorship with marshall Mm -hmm. so it Literally, he would nice just thing. use. Yeah, maybe he's pretty. Sweet. Yeah, they he had just, tons at their disposal. Yeah, they literally yeah. They, they just send him like the newest model, and he would just use that. Mm-hmm. And for for recording, I'm sure you know they would go back and, like I said, they would mix and match the sound for what they what they were yeah. really trying to go after. And you're saying they're getting so specific as uh, the story you're telling me. Like one of the engineers, like they'd be having Angus playing through, you know head in the cab and they'd be biasing the tubes in the head yeah while he yeah. was playing while it. he was playing it until they got it just right just because, right yeah because what for those who don't play guitar and have never experienced the marshall thing marshalls are kind of what they are there's not they yeah they have a presence a treble a bass a mid control like equalization yeah, that you can kind of sculpt EQ the tone knobs. Yeah. but but truly if we're all being honest with ourselves they don't do a whole lot I mean, a Marshall is kind of just going to sound like a Marshall. You, yeah. there's no <laughs> It's its thing. It's yeah. a thing, and if you like the thing, then you love it, and if you don't like the thing, you probably shouldn't buy a Marshall. Yeah, right. You're not going to change it. So the parameters on the EQ and stuff aren't really that important, but what is important is biasing the tubes, having the right speaker in your cab, the, the greenbacks that he always used, and also the r- dialing in the right amount of distortion. On the yeah. End. He would ne- so for but at first, uh, not to interrupt you, for those who may not know, what's biasing refer to? Because oh, I know man. a little of it. I've done it so, a couple times. I don't know enough about it <laughs> as I should, <laughs> but it's basically you're changing the voltage mm-hmm. to the tube, so the tubes will. <sighs> does it like if if I'm not mistaken, does it affect like kind of? It'll like affect, how hot they run, in a sense? Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. But f- So practically what I know about it is it essentially will affect the, the tone in a sense of like high-end yeah. and, and low-end type of thing. Yeah, I've heard that too. Like if, if you run them hotter, like you're going to get brighter tone. If you run them a little cooler, I in a sense, it'll be a little warmer. Or I, can't, a little more. I can't remember exactly um, which way it affects where. But yeah, if not... Yeah, but like most amps, like there's like that. You have a sweet spot. Yeah, the sweet spot and the, you know, in a way the manufacturers like prefer like, you know, keep the tubes biased within this certain range. You yeah, because yeah, you're messing with the voltage that the yeah. tubes will distribute to the rest of the electronics. Which yeah. guitar pedals, some some guitar pedals actually will sound better. I mean, this could be a myth, but... You know, you on, the battery slightly, <laughs> you know, use battery. Yeah, oh yeah. So yeah. there are even some... Uh, There's some who truly, yeah, yeah, that 
hardcore believe into the like yeah i need a dying battery sound in my overdrive pedal yeah, yeah. well there are actually some power supplies that you had to they have do. A, a voltage attenuator to yep you can bring it down to i don't know five six seven volts yeah which you know, you know yeah. uh, we'll i haven't messed around with it that much so i don't know maybe maybe we'll believe we'll believe that it's i mean like certainly it's true that the amount of voltage can affect the sound but how much it affects it and can you yeah. discern a difference yeah That's and there are people debate. who do you know there's stories of you know Derek trucks the great slide player will be in a a venue and you know sound checking he was like oh the power here is running a little lower than 120 or it's a little hotter running than 120 you know, that's <laughs> so they, dialed in yeah uh, you know i guess um, if you're playing a sh- you know four shows a week you would really start to you could hear the difference in probably like headroom that your amp's giving you yeah um, stories you know brad paisley's supposedly like he can tell like oh one of these cables is off something like that like, C- like could you tell me cable which cable brad yeah exactly <laughs> so so yeah um i guess the moral of the story is that acdc tone isn't necessarily a specific set of gear it's a marshall it's an sg yeah and it's angus and no pedals no well oh, i guess so uh, they didn't use pedals but yeah. he did use this wireless unit yeah let's, yeah you're mentioning that i didn't yeah. know about this part yeah so Back in the 70s, wireless was really just being created and, you know, a yeah. erratic guitar player like Angus Young, you could see how beneficial would it really would really be. benefit. Yeah. Not being tied to a cable as you're, you know, running across stage. Yeah, and twirling around and convulsing or whatever. So, yeah, he, he adopted wireless technology pretty early in the 70s. And these units, I mean, these units were huge. Like, we're talking like... They would have had eight, to Like, been. eight yeah. inches, like, tall, like, four inches wide. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're really big. And... The signal loss on these units were pretty substantial. So what they had to do was they actually had to put a preamp inside the wireless unit to boost the signal. Okay. Yeah. And what they found was this wireless unit was actually giving the Marshall a little bit of a boost on the front end. Yeah. It was so, like a built-in little boost pedal. Yeah, exactly. So an- another little trick to achieve the ACDC sound, while they're isn't a ton of distortion there is just a slight boost on the front end so (laughs) if you want if you want get yourself a boost pedal and just you know it's not much just just a little kick in the pants of the put it over the edge run that into your amp and that's what we're doing today i was i was (laughs) i was showing john like the with and without yeah it's one of those weird things because like it and it came about because he was just so used to having that on their live shows and their concerts that when they're in the studio and everything was hardwired no wireless, like it wasn't quite there for him. Yeah, exactly. He just he missed that little that little kick in the front end, and I think there was actually a um, compressor in the unit too because he had to make the the signal smaller to be able yeah. to transmit oh, it. Yeah. So, boost pedal, compressor, Marshall yeah. SG, and it's kind of you're getting there. Part of the name of the game with wireless is you know at least the. S- some level of compression but, yeah like i d- when you're telling me that i just had to laugh because you know within the past couple of years you know been having to utilize a wireless system for most of my shows now with you know that you're doing and right. immediately it was like the first time it was like well this is compressed and sounds like it's in a box like how do we not get that <laughs> yeah like like, it's like no no you're just you're, that's get used to it yeah <laughs> and so I, I can't imagine it was any better you know, thirty year, forty years ago. <laughs> no, but but you're but not you're not playing through live amps. 
these days. Yeah, these which days I feel not, like yeah. I feel like with a live amp, it you can maybe even get like it's it's not as drastic as a difference because yeah. in in ears are like, who that's a, that sound is so direct that you you can really notice yes. the nuances a lot easier. Yeah, and that's just so funny. It's like he preferred the wireless sound. <laughs> yeah, well, and if you listen to to the solo you can you can really hear those transients and stuff and that's that's all a direct result of of a, the compressor and of mm-hmm. course through mixing and stuff they, it was compressed even more but yeah. that that attack that he gets on the on the solos and stuff oh yeah just the, the attack is perfect. great Ooh, you can so good. hear the pick going across those strings love it wow. so uh, the the mics that he would use were either a pair of 67s, a pair of 87s, or a 67 and an 87. So condenser nice. mics, just mix and, and these match. These are uh, Neumanns? Neumanns, yep, yep, yeah. sorry. He's shorthand, I'm <laughs> used to. And he would, the, the interesting thing is he would use different patterns on the mics. So those mics can be set to a different polar pattern, which is how the microphone picks up the sound. For example, the microphone I'm using will only pick up sound in front of it mm-hmm. and not behind it. So you can set it to pick it up front and behind, not from the sides, or you can set it to pick up in 360 degrees around it. And so yeah. he would set the polar pattern to kind of get that room sound or not get the room sound, just whatever they were whatever they were after for the song, whatever made sense. So he said he would use cardioid, figure eight, and omni, combination of all three, or I guess technically just two of them, or you know put both mics on the same polar pattern. So... Again, it, it just kind of shows that the particular sound of ACDC, because this album still sounds like a collection of ACDC albums or songs. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound like drastically different stuff, but like they were not no. using the same gear on every song by any means. Yeah, just subtle different just changes in the... Yeah, little changes. Miking and, you know, what's, EQing and everything. So what's cool is we actually have kind of a list of mics that they use for the different instruments which is kind of rare oh nice so for the drums they would use a pair of 87s for the overheads which if you're wondering the difference between a neumann 87 and a neumann 67 is one is a solid state (laughs) yeah 20 it's 20 20 difference yeah the 87 is 20 times better right yeah exactly that's the selling point so the 87 is a solid state mic and the 67 is a tube mic. So those are different. And they have slight tonal characteristics that are Mm -hmm. different. People argue about which one they like more. We're not going to get into that. (laughs) So 87s on the overhead. On the kick drum, they would use a Neumann U47, another tube mic, or a D20, AKG Mm. D20. On the hi-hat, they would use a 414 and probably mute it immediately. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, like... Hi-hat miking wasn't always a thing back then. No, no. They, and so it's weird. So like this sound of this record, I think it's held up because they did close mic. That's, you know. Okay, yeah. Like it sounds like a classic album, but it doesn't sound like an outdated album. Yeah. The, a lot of those, especially, you know, 60s or, you know. 60s and like or early maybe 70s early 70s, and 70s and yeah. Especially in the 50s. Like you had a lot more of that room sounds. Everything was... Yeah, and More everyone says that they love it, but like, it's cool. It's cool, but like, mm, let's be honest yeah, here. But it does give it a like to our head, you know, to our ears, a certain sort of like puts it dates us, it. Yeah, recording in its time in a sense. It kind of dates it. Yeah, so it, they yeah. close mic'd it. 
which is which is kind of nice for us. The snare top was a KM86, which I am not actually familiar with that mic. The snare yeah. bottom is a classic SM57. <laughs> the toms classic. were either a Sennheiser 421 or an 87. It's my guess. It, was, it actually kind of made me laugh. Tony Platt said, if we use the toms at all, it would either be <laughs> a 421 or I was going to say, did, uh, does Paul Rudd even play toms? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. Not Paul Rudd. Wait, yeah, that's his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phil. I just Phil Rudd. Sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry. Phil I'm like, Rudd. wait a second. Not Paul Rudd. And then he would have a, a Neumann stereo mic for the rooms. That they, again, he would move, just move it around and try to find the right spot for the song. So, like, with everything that they did was pretty much just a function of this is the song are we getting the right sound in in our heads and they would just make slight changes until they found it and like that's a long process i can't yeah. like that that takes a long time you know you could spend an hour on just the guitar amps trying to figure oh out God. the right yeah. sound and you know another hour on just the drums and yeah it can be insane there's so many rabbit holes you can start to dive into and you just get lost in yeah uh, yeah it's it's so it's your ears start then playing tricks on you then you, right you're then like, you well, usually end up better. like back to where you started you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah i did find a a fun little like quote from uh tony platt talking about the the amps and cabs oh yeah saying that uh for certain sounds like he said uh you need to be running the amps at 16 ohms into 16 ohm cabinets you want to get the right crunch you need to have the lower specification speakers because you want the speaker to overload and not the amp there's a substantial difference between overdriving the amp versus overdriving the speaker i see so that's kind of a a thing i wouldn't have thought of necessarily like yeah. the difference between like overdriving the speaker versus the amp itself like where that kind of occurs in the signal chain yeah and i don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of playing an old Fender Tweed amp. No, I have not. I haven't either. At least not that I recall. <laughs> yeah, I haven't either. But something that the old guys used to do with their like their 55 Tweeds is they would replace the speaker. Yeah. Because I think originally it only had a 12-watt speaker. So they would replace it with a 25-watt speaker or even like a 125-watt speaker because the speaker would distort so easily, so easily on those old 55 tweets. Oh, yeah. yeah. And frankly, everyone says they love the sound of like an old like 12 watts. Yeah, the old, it, it's, yeah. It, it, it's a thing, but it's not the thing for everything. Yeah, for definitely. Sure. Yeah, it's, so, it's one of those, you know, it has that sound, that specific sound, but it doesn't fit for everything. Yeah, I probably would have replaced it too. Uh, so, so, yeah, there's, there's definitely a thing about the speaker's distorting and you know those old greenbacks i think they're just 25 watt speakers okay so they're not like crazy high no voltage. no not at all and like i think like the the celestian vintage 30s i think they're called v30s mm-hmm. i think those are 35 watt speakers or maybe even 40 watt speakers mm-hmm. so so the higher the wattage basically means like the less they will overdrive exactly the higher the wattage. or you have to push them even harder to exactly, to exactly. get them to so give you that warmth so uh we're almost done with the uh, tech specs here sweet on the base they would use a d20 or a 414 on a ampeg portaflex amp and they would also never heard of that so (laughs) 
use an Ampeg, I'm sure you'll get close. Yeah. Now, the vocals are, was an 87. Yeah, they were bit, yeah, it, or an 87. Yeah. Nice. And then, do you want do you want to now take a guess at what they mixed the, the record on? I'd have no idea, my friend. It was a Neve 8078. Okay. Well, that would have been my guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was. And that was at uh, Electric Lady Electric Lady, Lady, Lady right? Yeah. That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah, there's like, kind of similarly to when we talked about um, Steve Ray Vaughan and, you know, Pride and Joy and how, like, the band basically just played live in the studio and they try to capture that. I think there's some of that similarities here, but maybe even more specific nitpicking on oh, yeah. sounds. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure they would get the arrangement just right and then yeah. and then they would they would overdub not because of performance, but because they were really yeah. trying to create the sound in their head. Yeah, to th- thicken it up or, you know, yeah, dual guitars or, you know, for the solos, overdubbing certain spots. Um, actually, speaking of overdubbing, you're even talking about, like, the vocals on this record, like Brian Johnson vocals, like, and I kind of have noticed it, but it wasn't on the forefront of my mind, like how there's doubling, but you're saying like the double track is delayed a little bit. I think, well, I don't think it's, so I think, yes, I think there is a double that they introduced. Yeah. There's definitely some doubling. And maybe, and maybe it it could be a case where they just ride the double down, but it almost sounds, it almost sounds like a delay that it was like a really, really short delay, like almost unperceivable. Yeah. And you can you can just barely hear it like in the verses and stuff. And that's the thing with all the effects that they use for ACDC, they they didn't want them to be noticeable. They just yeah. wanted it to enhance what was there. They didn't want they didn't want the delay to become a feature of the no, song. They didn't like effects at all. Like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like they didn't even really like reverb too much. They tried to capture it all naturally. And, yeah. You know, there of course there is. Like if you listen to the snare, there's definitely like some sort of plate reverb on it. Yeah, 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 it was even more than I thought until yeah. I listened to it like in a more closed environment. Like, oh, I never even noticed all that. And if you listen to the uh, the the like count in from the guitar, you can hear a little bit of the reverb on yeah, the guitar. A little so like there's on the guitar and the hi hat. Yep, some of that. There's definitely effects, but it's the you know everything is very subtle. But but yeah, that yeah, very subtle. The the yeah. double tracking on his voice really really serves to thicken it up, but not not you don't perceive it as yeah like a distinct double until the chorus the chorus they definitely let the double ride a little bit yeah louder. and all the hey 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 hey's right. yeah yeah like if you just heard one track of that it would sound even like for a singer like brian johnson it would sound probably a little weak. pretty weak yeah, yeah pretty weak and thin yeah you have to thicken that up it's interesting those subtle little uh tricks they'll throw in to yeah <laughs> well and i think it kind of goes, I think I've made this point before on the podcast where being creative in a mix doesn't mean you're just putting reverb and delay and like weird modulation effects on stuff. Like the way, the way that they use the double, I would argue is just as creative if more, if not more creative than just putting reverb on a track because they're intentionally creating thickness in the vocal Mm-hmm. on certain sections of the song so i don't know i as a as a young mixer you know you can really experiment with changing the perception of of a vocal like the power in it mm-hmm. to, to help serve the song and actually speaking of serving the song there's a, yeah. a really great another another great tony platt quote 
that I'll read about half of it. Yeah, there are quite a few uh, interviews and articles with Tony Platt that are very interesting. Like for anyone interested in that side of things, like to check out, there's one on Sound on Sound that you said is a great one. I mean, he's interviews of him on, you know, reverb, premier guitar, even a lot of great stuff that he talks about miking techniques and, you know, some of the signal chains. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's done quite a bit of interviews and stuff about, about mixing and, and how he recorded ACDC, which is really cool because you don't, you don't get that a lot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Guys. yeah, sometimes they just don't want to talk about it or they don't even remember. <laughs> so so here's here's what he said about the mix. And and this is this is something I've tried to convey over the podcast before. The mix for me always starts when the song is written. Moving the sound and the performance towards a certain point means you're suggesting how the mix is going to be. And the idea is really to give yourself a recording that will enable you to be creative when it's time to mix while providing as many options as possible. Nice. So basically what he's saying is, I'm sure everyone has already figured this out, but you have intention with how the song is being written, and then you just expand upon that idea. You don't, you don't have 20 ideas, and you try to capture all 20 ideas. You pick, one, you pick the one idea, the direction the song naturally wants to move towards, and then you, you really focus in on that. It's mm-hmm. like going it's like going a mile deep and an inch wide instead of a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. A lot of songwriters kind of think of it that way too, in a sense. Like, you know, you hear interviews from songwriters that they say like, you know, they just go with where the song takes them. Like you don't try to like, no, I wanna throw in this, you know alliteration or this word that I just learned from the thesaurus that you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> right. You know, let follow them, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of musicians and songwriters kind of, they understand when that kind of like that pull tells you to like, okay, this is the way it's going. Right. You can't force it to go a certain other way. And like, and I think, yeah, um, and I think ACDC writes their songs. Like you definitely get the sense of, okay, we're going to go this way with how right. <laughs> we're going to track. Yeah. You're not going to be, you know, having everyone, you know, just do their part in isolation. Like, let's just do the drums first, all right? Or let's just start right. off with a you know a bass track. And know? I'm sure I'm sure you've experienced that kind of track building. Yeah, which is it I can mean, work. How, I, I mean, mean, sometimes out of necessity these days of you know everything's kind of track by track. The, a lot of the time, you know, yeah, especially yeah. for in home studios or you do a, a bunch of MIDI tracks to get the song formed down, and then you go back and have real musicians right? Yeah, do it. It's still like individually, you know. It's um, it's an interesting process, and I've I've certainly done that at a like you said necessity. But but yeah, I, you know, intentionality in music is I think, I not just in music. I think intentionality in life is in probably life. a life lesson. Yeah, it's probably probably the way to go. Yeah, you, you gotta can, have intention. You know, figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I mean, that's the goal. With every every time my finger pick goes across the string, you try to have intention with that motion. Could have fooled me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. John is a wonderful guitar player. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the 
the guitar side of things, the playing, like Ooh. this riff. Um, Do you know who the riff was written by? Well, most people would think Angus. Most people would think Angus. Yeah. But it was Malcolm. Malcolm. And Angus always said, you know, he Malcolm showed me this riff, and I don't know <laughs> if he showed it to him live or he re- showed it to him on, you know, a tape that he recorded. Mm-hmm. But Angus says to this day, you know, I, I can never play the dang thing right. <laughs> like it's, it's never right. Yeah, right. Well, he had some humbleness, so that's cool. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. He's yeah. he's a really, like, I don't know. Have you ever, like, listened to one of his interviews? Not, I mean, he's probably been a while. So. He's pretty soft-spoken. and Yeah, you know. which is kind of crazy because his onstage persona is just like the, he's like, wild, he's like the wild, yeah. goofiest guy ever. But, yep. I mean, in some ways that makes sense. You know, you pretty reserved in your private life and then you let it all out on stage yeah yeah (laughs) yeah but with acdc like what's great about a lot of their songs you know earlier we're talking about like they just have such great intros that just hit you but from the guitar side of things they're basically just using your literally your like some of the first chords you would ever learn on the guitar yeah like what we call our open string chords it's just you have your e chord your A chord, not sus, your D chord, your G, C, even though sometimes they might play C at nine, has more of an open sound. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so many other songs are just using those basic open string chords. And sometimes, you know, he's not hitting all the strings, maybe just, you know, right. That's actually the one, low of the, strings, that's one of the, the secrets yeah. to, to making it sound right is yeah. not hitting that. Like, like on a D chord. Yeah, if you play it maybe technically right, you'd only have four strings. Lots of times, you know, you play that fifth string. That actually turns it into an inversion. Yeah, technically an inversion. But when you throw on the bass, which a bass guitar is tuned in, you know, an octave lower than the guitar, so you get one more D below that, so uh-huh. then that thickens it up. Usually you're not hearing that third in that chord. That's not usually not there. You just take that away. Like. <laughs> right. Um, but so that's one thing. Just I mean, there. You know, until you get to spots in which you have to play like what we would call like you know power chords or bar chords when you're not playing any open strings. Uh, a lot of those classic ACDC songs are just open string yeah. chords. A lot like, of triads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just an open G, open D. They're just lots of times they're playing those chords without any thirds of them. So, you know, they're power chords, but they're not like your movable power yeah, chords. Yeah, and the yeah. thing the thing about ACDC that I love about it, one, that I can, because I can play it, so that makes me like it. But two, uh, the there's a lot of really, really just incredibly subtle nuances to the to the guitar parts that, if you don't have them, they don't sound just right, and it's actually a lot more sure. difficult to <laughs> to nail the parts than uh, yeah. It's still not, you yeah. You can't think. just flop the fingers down first, you know. Yeah, because there's you know something like if you're playing your G chord like this, you don't want that note there, right? Take that note away, and all of a sudden it's it becomes rock open and, roll. and you know huge sounding. But if you have that third in there, in the lower octave, it's too muddy. Yeah, you know? it muddles it up a bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, a secret for you know any of those guitarists out there who were, you know, want to get into the studio side of things or just recording their own stuff. And once you get into like, especially if, especially if you're like overdubbing a lot of different guitar tracks, like know where you want to have the third of a chord in there. Probably put it in the uh, Nashville tuning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you get that acoustic out. But, you know, a lot of the secret the secret sauce to especially, like, overdubbing, you know, like a wall of guitars is you're just having those open fifths, you know, what we call our power chords. And, you know, you can do other, like... You know, all sort of different... Technically inversions, but just playing your root in your fifth. And then maybe one track might have, you know, a third in there, perhaps, right, yeah. you know. And that's, you know, depending on the song, you know. But that third, especially when you throw in a lot of overdrive or, you know, distortion, it causes even more distortion <laughs> yeah, that right. muddies up the mix, you know, like. And you know what's funny is. That's not as clear sounding as a. As a, as a mix engineer, if, if someone sent me a bunch of guitar tracks with that third in there. I bet I bet where I'm EQing to make it less money, I, I would, would be willing to bet that it's that third note. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're literally it. pulling it out, yep. which is funny. I never really thought about that. So so a lot of mix problems can be just solved by simple arrangement. Yeah. And it's one it's one of those simple things that like like I don't want to say uneducated or unschooled guitars, but maybe just more like People like me. No, no. It'd be like guitarists who just, you know, grew up playing like just rock stuff. And so their ears, they start to recognize like, oh, I just want, I want that versus, especially if you're, you know, having lots of gain, you know, right. on that sound, you know, uh, where, you know, guitarists who get too far into the academic side and, you know, you know, learn all these, you know, jazz chords and you know everything like that they try to put that in you know to a rock song with overdrive and that just starts to sound like you know crap you know it, it can sound kind of cool but if it's too much of it within a mix it yeah gets if you could imagine like muddy. four guitars trying to do that yeah, same thing, it would yeah. Be even just basic you know Actually, this doesn't sound too bad with the signal that we have. But Hard to make a Marshall sound bad. But it's still not quite as, like, hitting you through the speaker than, yeah. like, those open yeah. Even Even, open even the low volume that we're running right now, you can yeah. still kind of hear it. The power. The power! The power! The power of the power cord. Um, <laughs> and we can get to, like, you know, the tech, some of it made the technicalities of that. It has to do with, you know, the harmonic sequence of a note, you know, like when you throw in the third in there, it already starts to cause more sound waves interfering with each other versus like mm. just open fifths, you know. Right. But anyway, the key word for back and black, if I was going to say this, you know, the guitar riff, there's one word. Like Angus. <laughs> okay, a second word. When you hear the, you know, the riff... Sorry, I did two pull-offs there. Yes, right. But mm. the key word to that riff is what? Uh, you got it. I, uh, uh. 
Like it's like the rhythm that kind of sticks yeah. out to me. Like this, it's not space, man. It's oh, space. space! I see. I was, I was, I was like, I was thinking syncopation, but like it's not really uh, a syncopated. We'll, yeah, we'll get there too. But we'll like, get, yeah. It, yeah, it's like again to me, it's just super intentional where the where the notes go. Yeah, but like I don't necessarily have the musical brain that you do. So. But it's like you know, picture this song if it was written. They just they just played it. You know, eventually it gets there in the song, like during the solo sections, essentially, they start to let the, you know, chords ring out. But once, you know, with the drums, it's very almost like March-like, and it has that groove, that space is there. There's there's a groove there, and something that, like when you, you know, here's my old man rant, (laughs) like, not to say any specific names but some like the more like modern kind of prog rock you could say but like just like modern like rock it's just like constant notes it's just a constant series of notes like Hmm. there's no space with anything it's just you know right you know that sort of thing thing. no I I just just (laughs) made up something um and it's just that constant series of you know eighth notes or sixteenth notes and it's like there's no space, there's no like it's hard to have that groove just like it's got the funk, man. Yeah. And so let's get into the funk side of it. Ooh. That there's this common I'm gonna call it a rhythmic accent pattern or rap for short. Of course. I, I just made that up in my head. But this common rhythmic accent pattern that occurs throughout the song and it's most prevalent on like the chorus. Uh-huh. When it's, you get to... That rhythm there, like they're never hitting. It's never on the downbeat. It's never on count one. It's like one and you know it hits on the end of one as we say and and it's, does it land back on the downbeat again until you get back to the oh so that really gives that verse those a lot, are really a lot of power. like staying on the downbeat and then you get to the chorus one um dum 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 that syncopated becomes like a kind of a sequence of like dotted eighth notes one it almost gives it like a bounce yeah, it's bounced because it's now it's a lot more of those, you know, chords are occurring on the offbeats, you know. Yeah, you know what? Can you name the other ACDC song that starts on the end of a beat? That yes, is? it's uh, the, um, um, uh, oh, what's it called? About like half the country songs in the 2000s ripped it off. It's a uh, Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell, yes. yes. <laughs> oh. You, you play it. We're going to switch guitars here. Oh. You, you got your pick? Yeah, oh yeah. Got my... The, uh... But, like, you know, um, another great band would be Eddie Van Halen. Van Halen. He was like a master of... There you go. One, two, three...
Yeah. That you're not hitting the downbeat. You know, um, that's no. like that's like a key to like giving something, giving music a certain groove. Because I, the I drums mess, are I, mean, I messed the it beats. up there though, trying to oh, trying to get fancy it. with that. <laughs> but yeah, that's why. Like in my head, I think like you know the Malcolm and Angus Young, like Eddie Van Halen would be another example. Like who just wrote great rock riffs because a lot of it was like it just wasn't. Just like dumpy, 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 you know, right. thinking very, you know, almost like a, you think of it from the drummer side of things. Like, drummers love it when things aren't on the downbeats or, all, you know, they're occurring on the offbeats because the drums in bass itself, that's usually that's where they're at. You know, the drums are hitting that bass drum on count one, you know, right. which, you know, Phil Rudd is just, you know, bread and butter, boom, chick, boom, chick. You know, like for most of the song, same with the bass. And, you know, he hits some of those rhythmic things, especially, you know, he'll like hit those throughout the song. But that's like, you know, another key thing that why this, you know, a song like Back in Black, it just like sticks with you because it has those like variations. Yeah. Like the strong emphasis on the downbeat during the verses with that space. And then it gets into like that syncopated rhythm in the chorus, and that same you know it, it you know it's it harkens back to that rhythm of that little chromatic line. You know uh, they're kind of occurring on the same placement throughout that four count measure. So that's kind of a cool thing. Like I, it wasn't obvious to me until I started to listen through this song again. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things that, you know, they probably didn't think of that at all. It's just like... Just felt right. Yeah, that their natural musical instincts, you know, like why, you know, it came out that way, you know, in a sense. Like, but it's kind of hindsight when you look back to it. It's like, yeah, this, there's that cohesive syncopation occurring throughout the song. So, pretty so cool. far on the podcast, if you're a songwriter... We've talked about replacing major chords with their relative minor, <laughs> which is, I believe, yes. the going four, four go, down, I believe, four half steps down. Uh, three half steps Three half down. steps. Or four, yeah. five, set five up? I don't, I don't know. doesn't matter. <laughs> but so replacing the major chords with their relative minors yeah. and, then, and then syncopating the rhythm on the chorus yeah. to create more interest and a bounce. So or flip it. You know, you can or, syncopate or it on it, yeah. the verse so, and then you go to downbeats for a chorus. So section. I'd be curious yeah. if, uh, if there are any budding songwriters out there listening, if they could put these tips into, into use and send us the result. We'd love that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Where can they send that to, John? Consoles at gmail.com. That's right. Or tag us in a video. Or Shoot, maybe Instagram. we'll even play it during the for, for the podcast. We'll, we'll yeah, in, insert a section. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, it's it's that just gives the song its man, its groove. Like that whole like combination of solid, just like very basic eighth note bass, bass and drums, right? With more of the some of the syncopated guitars, like hmm. it just gels together so well and just gives you that that groove as we said and you know this song obviously well known and popular like even got you know some of its uh history and other things it has to do you know the beastie boys sampled it off their um first album i think uh for a track called rock hard and when you listen you know they sampled some led zeppelin too and it uh, 
I guess I saw like when the Beastie Boys were doing like a compilation album later on and what they wanted to have that track on it. You know, when they first put out that uh, album, they didn't ask for permission for sampling. That wasn't even a, a thing people yeah. thought of. <laughs> but, you know, when they wanted to do like a re-release compilation, they had to go to ACDC and ask them like, can we, you know, have permission, you know, sampling back in black? And ACDC said, no, thank you. We don't believe in sampling. Yeah, I was going to say, they probably yeah. were like, nah. and, and the Beastie Boys were cool with it. They were like, okay, we get it. That's right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks anyway. So that's it. I think with the the song, that's about all I have to talk it's about. Like, I, like, like we've been saying, it's relatively simple, but the nuances r- make it a lot more more in depth than you than you would imagine. Like if you listen to the solo, the way he vibratos and then and then goes into the oh, runs. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're talking to me about that earlier right yeah because like you're loving it like the vibrato yeah like he's just trying to get it just right and it's like why doesn't this sound like the record i mean obviously because i'm not angus young but like i i came to find out it's like really like how he how he transitions into notes and yeah like he wouldn't necessarily like vibrato and note right off the bat like he might let it yeah, let it ring a little bit, and then start to shake it a right. lot, you know. And w- yeah, when you listen to his soloing, like you literally just picture him with his like face half open and head like kind of shaking and like <laughs> sweat drenched down his face. You know, it's like you just can picture how he's. Soloing. It's like he can feel the entire song as he's playing it. Like yeah, it's like the, the entire musical. The electricity direct, like, yeah. is just like going through. You can just like feel it, you know flowing a lot of great you know basically his solo is just utilizing e minor pentatonic you know but there's also and of course the chord is not e minor though <laughs> yeah it's an e major chord which is again i think we already talked about this on another podcast the whole Minor pentatonic, melodic over the major harmonic uh-huh. aspect of a song, which is basically your, that's your classic recipe for blues, <laughs> which then carries over into basically everything else, rock and roll, then hard rock and metal and country and Yeah, jazz it's, a, it's and amazing funk. if you kind of follow the tree of influence how it all just kind of goes back yeah. to the pentatonic scale. Yeah, but, I mean, he has some great, like, some of those, like, descending, of course, the, you know, the, at the intro. Ah, sorry. You know, that one, mm. which sometimes when I'm lazy, I just do two pull-offs. That's right. It's not so, when we you gotta go. <laughs> originally spoke about the song, I guess, I guess you could say I'm a little OCD with this. <laughs> You're like, AC/DC no, you picked thing. those two notes. The, the first two notes are picked, and the the second uh, set three zero on the guitar is a pull off. Pull off, and then the and quit then the bend. bend. Yeah, so I got on John's case about that. Which is probably the only time I'll be able to get on John's case about. <laughs> well, I'm just trying anything. to make it easier on myself. <laughs> like, no, nope, no, nope, can't do it. Yeah, but yeah, Angus has some great, you know, like. Some of those, as I said, like those descending lines, which I think as a musician, if you're an improviser, just, you know, and in getting into soloing, like think about the wave of a line. If you're going up, you know, ascending, if you're going down, like you start to like develop almost like a language of like, 
ascending lines versus like descending lines. I, guitar players, I think, mainly due to just kind of how the instruments laid out with how the strings were laid out, you start to develop more like descending lines. You know, you like, you know, that sort of. You know, right. stuff like that. Like, you have all these, like, decent things. So he was... But he had some great... You know, he has some... I don't even know if that's... It's kind of from the solo. <laughs> I don't know the solo, <laughs> no for no. Made. But, yeah, some of that's there. But, like, a lot of his, like, great solos have those, like... like yeah. Those great, and they're like, all, and they're all so in the pocket, too, which is... Yeah. Yeah, that's the key in the pocket, and you know his combination of phrasing, like when he's certain notes he's picking versus the ones he's slurring, which you know on guitar is like a pull off or hammer on. It's great stuff. Yep. So yeah, man, I think uh, that's all I have for back in black. That's right, my and friend. If you uh, feel so inclined to, we would love a little review of the show. Yeah, please do. Those do really help us out. If you can give us five-star review, some kind words on Apple Podcast or whichever uh, podcasting app or means you're using to listen to this. That's right. It helps Pod people find Bean. the show. Yeah, it's yes, very it does. important to us. Yeah, so we appreciate any feedback like that. And so this has been Coffee and Consoles. My name's John. And I'm Kevin. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!